Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show on AM 1000 in Orange and San Diego counties and on AM 930 in Los Angeles County. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you through the good offices of Immaculate Heart Radio from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Esther Sakara. Esther, welcome. Thank you, Rick. And Esther is a youth minister, and we're going to talk today a little bit about millennials, youth ministry, and what that has in common. Before we begin, though, I think we probably need a brief word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, we ask you to be with us, helping us to do your will and granting us all your peace and understanding. Open our hearts, our minds, our ears, and our mouths, that we would speak your word well, and that we would have a little bit more guidance and understanding as to what you want us to understand, especially about youth ministry and about what this generation is both seeking and trying to teach. Our Father who art in heaven, Heaven. hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, first of all, Esther, what I'd like you to do is to tell me just a, just briefly, what's your background? How long have you been doing youth ministry? And then I'm going to ask you the why question. So first of all, who are you and why are you here? Well, I, as you said, I am Esther Sakara, and I've been in youth ministry as a career for about six-ish months. Six months. Okay. <laughs> so we're half a year into this. This is pretty good. And you've survived this long. This is good, too. Yes, yes, I And may I be so bold as to ask a young lady who probably should not be guarding her age just yet, how old are you? I'm 22. 22. So you're very young. In fact, you would be part of what we would call the millennial generation. Yes, I am. And you just came out of school not that long ago. Is that also correct? Yes, I did. I got my degree in drama from the University of Dallas, which is actually in Irving, Texas, which is about 10 minutes outside of Dallas. And then truth in advertising, I want to make sure we've disclosed everything. Uh, Esther Sakara, you've probably heard the name Sakara before. I've had her father on here before. Uh, Esther's father is, has been involved in ministry for quite some time in educational ministry, uh, and is currently the department chair for theology at Servite High School. So you come from a Catholic family, and I have known you for a, a number of years, I think since you were in second, second grade. grade yeah. <laughs> going all the way back. And in fact, when I was a principal, you were in my school for a while, several years ago. Yes. Yeah. And then you went off to college. My question for you is, you chose University of Dallas. Yes, I did. Why did you choose the University of Dallas? Well, a couple of reasons. I knew I wanted to go out of state, and I knew the college I wanted to go to needed to be Catholic. I wanted to go to a truly Catholic school, so not just in name, but also in practice. So I was looking around. Wait, you mean there are schools out there that call themselves Catholic that that aren't that Catholic? 
Yes. I'm shocked. Shocked <laughs> that gambling is going on here. Your winnings, sir. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, Esther. It's okay. So I was looking around. Originally, I had wanted to go to school for history, and then I was going to become a lawyer. That was the original plan. Thank God that he intervened. But go ahead. <laughs> no, I've got some good lawyer so, friends. Most of them are not in jail. Go ahead. <laughs> My dad at his school came home one day as I was looking at different colleges and suggested I look at the school called University of Dallas. I'd never heard of the school before. One of his colleagues at Servite High School had, I believe, a daughter that went there. And I researched the school I liked it. I liked what I was seeing. And they had this really neat thing where you can actually request for them, uh, one of their students currently still there, to call you and talk to you about the school. So you're not just talking to someone in admissions or anything like that. You're talking to a student that is still going through school there and is talking to prospects, prospect students, as we call them. Peer-to-peer, more likely to give you... Um, information on your level, what you would need and what you'd be concerned exactly. about. Exactly. Not just a sales speech from someone who's mm-hmm. frankly making their living off of getting people to go to, to the school. Yeah. So you had other prospects that were out there. Um, I know your older sister went to Steubenville to yes. the Franciscan University. So your siblings, and you've got a few, uh, your siblings have so far chosen to go to good Catholic schools. So you went to University of Dallas. Now, what was that like? Going out of state or going to Both. college. Yeah. What was it like for you to, as a millennial Catholic, going to college these days? Because I'm sure that even though University of Dallas is a Catholic school, mm-hmm. it still has its, its, its secularisms. Oh, that of are, course. So what was it like for you the last few years to be a Catholic young woman in college? Well, for me particularly, I went to the University of Dallas and I wasn't scared. And that's, um, I think. There are other millennials or other just people going to college in general that you go to college and it can be scary whether you're staying in state, whether you're going out of state, whether you're an hour from home or 15 minutes because college, it's this new level of you're treated like an adult and you can't fall back on mom and dad to, you know, call your professor and anything like that to try and figure out if there's an issue in the classroom. You have to very much figure it out on your own and figure out what you're, you get to choose your classes, you get to choose your major, you can change your major. And so there's just a lot of elements that are dropped in your lap that in high school you don't have. Fortunately for me, I, again, was not scared. And that was partly because I knew exactly what I wanted to do, even though that ended up falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the best laid plans and then God laughs at you. <laughs> yes. Well, Esther, you went through... As a millennium in college, I take it that you have now graduated. You did graduate yes. from the school. Okay. So you graduated and have come back here. What's been the hardest part about leaving college? The hardest part for me about leaving college, and I think this is unique to if you go out of state and you don't stay in the same state that you were at the college, is the friend groups that you create over four years they are hundreds of thousands of miles away, yes. essentially. They're not right there. It's not a walk down the hill to the dorm or down the hall to your friend's room, go to the cafeteria or anything like that. It, nothing's within five minutes necessarily anymore in terms of friend group. So that can be difficult coming back, especially coming back. You have maybe friends from high school. Sometimes you don't keep in contact with the friends from high school. 
But if you do, there's a different dynamic there because they didn't go through the trenches, so to speak. So the support network, the friend network isn't as robust when you come back because of the distance. And in fact, you're you're kind of feeling a little on your own yes. again. Okay. So I want to fast forward just a, a little bit. You have a drama background. So you've got a degree that's basically teaching you how to teach people how to act, how to go into a drama production, how to portray something, which is very close to teaching, frankly, <laughs> having been a teacher myself. No, seriously, you're up on stage and you're trying to get kids to understand something vicariously. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can use drill, you can use different techniques, but frankly, most of the time you're trying to get people to visualize what it was, especially if you're a history teacher like me. You chose to go into ministry. What's the ministry that you're involved with now? I'm involved with youth ministry, so mostly middle school through high school. And right now, currently, my parish is trying to get a young adult group started, and so I will be involved with that as well. Now, the the parish you're at is actually the Diocese of San Bernardino, Mm -hmm. so it's a neighboring diocese. This broadcast will go from two different stations, one from San Diego which will cover not only San Diego, but also uh, Orange County, all the way up through San Bernardino County. So every, all your friends that right now will be listening. <laughs> and the other side is from Los Angeles, which will cover all of the Diocese of Orange and San Bernardino. So all of your friends will be listening twice to this broadcast. So with that in mind, this actually, we're talking to a lot of people. My question for you as a youth minister, now that you've been, and you've got kind of a, a the beginning snapshot, you've been in just long enough to, I assume, Now, have your feet wet. You know what the parameters of your job are, which you probably didn't know your first month or two. You have a a basic understanding of what your your clients are, the the students, Mm -hmm. the parishioners, the kids that are coming to be with you. What's it like so far? What's been the most outstanding things that have popped out in choosing to take on a role as a youth minister? I think the most outstanding part has actually been to talk to the youth, um, the teens and whatnot. I've had, we've gone on a couple of different little outings. We went to Steubenville, literally, that was in July. So when I came in in June, so that was really kind of hit the ground running. I went um, to Steubenville, San Diego. Okay, so you went to not Steubenville, Ohio. You went no, down the, the Franciscan conference. University has a conference. Okay. Yes, they have a youth conference. And so we went to Steubenville, San Diego, and that was a weekend at USD where the conference was being held. So I got to really meet the teens, get to know them a lot better. And then the last one we did was we went to Inspiration LA, which is a day at Six Flags that ends with mass at the Golden Bear Arena that's actually in the park. And it was standing room only. (laughs) So a great deal of what you are doing in ministry so far is event-oriented. I'm hearing some music beginning to start briefly in the background, so we're going to have to take a break and come back. When we come back, uh, we'll be talking more with uh, Esther Sakara, who is a youth minister here in Southern California, uh, 22 young years old, and is a millennial. And I want to talk a little bit about what her impressions are of her fellow millennials. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we'll be right back. Now on DVD and digital download, a story about finding truth, meaning, and beauty in the last place they expected. I can't become Catholic. 
What am I insane? There's no way. A film to encourage your faith and help you reach out to others. I thought this is just nonsense. These people are crazy. Atheism is much more rational. Convinced, featuring over 20 of today's most interesting and articulate Catholic voices, including Jennifer Fulweiler, Scott Hahn, Abby Johnson, and Patrick Madrid. Get convinced now at convincedmovie.com. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope, where Catholic faith is crystal clear here at Christ Cathedral. And we are talking with Esther Sakara. And Esther is a millennial, meaning she's about 22, a millennial minister who is doing youth ministry here in Southern California at a neighboring diocese. And the reason why I was so interested in bringing you on board today, Esther, because when we were talking, um, we were discussing your view and your your take on millennials. And you being one of them, it's kind mm-hmm. of, a, all right, well, I could talk about millennials all day, but it doesn't matter. I'm an old guy. So you, coming from the, the generation, you are not only from the generation, you're ministering to the generation. I don't get them. <laughs> What's going on with the millennials? Well, it's okay. We don't understand you much either. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Well, what's going on with millennials? Yeah, millennials, I hear, are kind of split into almost a schizophrenic. There's a part of their drive as a group to be almost extremely liberal, to abandon all things pretentious Mm -hmm. and move away from what they've been given. And yet there's a real strong drive for structure as long as that structure is real. And therefore, there's a conservative tact Mm -hmm. as well. Am I seeing that correctly? And how do you do that? I think you are seeing it correctly. I think there is definitely two sides to the millennial generation. And to kind of address both of them, so the sort of liberal bent of the millennial generation is we desperately want to change something. We want something to fight for. We look at the generations before us and we see social justices that were fought that were good. We see that we look at the civil rights movement and we see our, so that would have been our grandparents. We see how they fought for the rights of African-Americans, how they were finally to get them the right to vote. Then we look even further back to so our great grandparents or even great, great grandparents. And we see our suffragettes. So we see these progressions of social changes that were brought about by different generations before us. And we're taught at a very young age, we can change the world and we can make the world a better place. And it's up to us to make the world a better place. We're constantly hearing that you have to do it. You have to do it. And so the liberal bent is we want something to fight for. We want to make the world this wonderful place for all of us to live in. Yet, because of different ideologies and just the way that philosophy has developed over time in our modern era, we're not sure what is real because nothing has been taught to us what is real, what is foundationally Structured, So we're walking about in this wishy-washy mess. We have what we what we know to be right, human dignity and all these things we want to fight for. But we have no foundation. And so we're trying to figure, well, what is this foundation? What sort of real structure can we base what we what is right, what is good on? 
we haven't been taught that. We don't know what that is. Okay, you're 22 and you went through four years of college at a school that that at least addressed some of this, it sounds mm-hmm. like. What do you think is the reason you don't have a foundation, as you said? I think the reason we don't have a foundation is we're afraid to be told no. And that's a hard thing for people to understand is we're afraid to be told and to even to say no, this is wrong. No, you can't do that. We want to believe that we can achieve anything. And to some degree, you can achieve anything if you have the right attitude and you have the right skill set. The problem is we would rather see it as, well, I don't necessarily need the skill set. I can go ahead and do it even though I don't have this isn't necessarily a talent. We've lost this idea of vocation. Okay, so millennials then, they both have a a drive to try to find what is real, yet they don't seem to have enough of a foundation, yet there's this other group that seems to be moving in a more conservative direction. I know some of the statistics that I've seen and some of the studies that have come out on millennials indicates that as a group, they tacked more conservative on social justice issues, on moral issues, on abortion, for example, than the generation before them and the generation before that. So my question would be, what's different amongst those millennials that seem to be gravitating toward a more conservative bent? Let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a number of different uh, orders throughout the Catholic Church. The ones that are growing with millennials joining their ranks are the ones that seem to be the more conservative. They're the ones that have the habits. They're the ones that are that have a, a stronger statement of foundation, of structure, of rules, and of why. Is that something that you've seen as consistent with the people that you know who are gravitating in a conservative direction? I would say yes. Kind of just using myself as an example, I recently started wearing a chapel veil. A chapel veil. Would you explain to me, because most of our audience, frankly, has never heard of a chapel chapel veil. veil. What is a chapel veil and and why does one wear one? A chapel veil is essentially a head covering that a woman wears when she goes into church or even when she goes into prayer. Oh, okay. So these were the things that were popular back before Vatican II. Yes. And your parents didn't tell you to wear this? No. And your mother doesn't wear this? My mother does not wear this. Um, in fact, she has told me she will not wear one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What has made you gravitate toward a chapel veil? Well, while I was at work one day, I was reading some articles because I keep our Facebook page for our youth ministry at St. Mother Teresa up to date. And sometimes I'll post little articles from places like Church Pop or from Catholic Meme, you know, social media outlets that are specifically geared towards young Catholics. And I found an interesting article that was about chapel veils. And the article wasn't meant, and she was very clear, the author, I cannot remember the author's name, she was very clear that she was not trying to say everyone must wear a chapel veil. Mm -hmm. But she wanted to visit why chapel veils were even used in the first place. And she quoted Paul, and I cannot remember the the actual scripture, but from one of Paul's letters, and he talks about how men are the symbol of Christ here on earth, which is why they are the head of the family. And that's a whole other set of issues. 
And women are symbolic of the bride of Christ and the church. And that was one of the reasons why women were called to cover their heads when going into mass or even going into prayer, even beginning to pray. And the idea of the chapel veil was as a bride of Christ, you veil yourself. Thomas Aquinas later also says that it just looks really pretty. That when you go to, well, when you go to church, you want to dress your best. You want to look your best. So he talks about how women will veil their heads because you get dressed up when you go to mass. And reading that theology, reading that as a woman, I am symbolic of Christ's bride. I am symbolic of the church, that I am this sacred vessel, so to speak. And that is why one covers her head. I found that to be very beautiful. And I was I decided I was looked at that and was like, well, I guess I'm going to wear one, too. Now, (laughs) you know, it's fascinating because when I was when I have talked to people who were quite proud of the fact that they've moved away from some of the traditions prior to Vatican II, they talked about them being stifling and old-fashioned and being forced upon you. And here we have you, and I take it you're not the only person that you know who's done this. Not in my family. My older sister has. <laughs> we got them for Christmas. And your mom said, no way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. And, but they got them for you for Christmas. So my they mom, respected your decision to yes, do it. Okay. My mom got them for us for Christmas. But far from taking it on as a negative, as if you must do this, you see the positive behind mm-hmm. it. Almost like... Some of the organizations, the Daughters of St. Paul is a fairly uh, young organization, yet they are growing from young people primarily, and they've taken on the habit. They they are habited. We can see the statistics that in the orders, the orders that are attracting young people are the orders that have the habit, so the orders that have a, a stronger um, articulation of the faith, mm-hmm. uh, which you would almost call as a label conservative. And some of those things, instead of being negatives or oppressive, you're saying that millennials see positives Mm -hmm. behind this structure. And millennials generally then not only have gone off towards the more liberal end, you're saying that there are people like you that are going Mm -hmm. off towards the more structured end. Yes. Have you seen this as well? I mean, are you are you infecting your your parish, or what's going on with you, Esther? And- well, the chapel veil's new, so give it some time. <laughs> uh, I did recently have actually uh, this young girl who comes to youth events fairly regularly tell me that her father's actually wanted her to wear a chapel veil, and she asked me when we, could, we didn't have a lot of time. Um, it was after mass, but she asked me to tell her sometime why so i think there is i think there's something comforting in having structure and i think that's why it's you it's not a matter of i know where my boundaries are and i'm not going to move outside of that it's i know what my boundaries are and i know why and it makes sense and when we come back esther i want to continue talking on that you're listening to orange county catholic radio i'm talking to esther sicara a millennial who is also doing ministry and will be right We've got an awesome idea for your summer vacation. How'd you like to join Bishop Kevin Van and Bishop Tim Fryer for a first-of-its-kind Catholic cruise from Long Beach to Ensenada, Mexico? You'll be entertained by acclaimed musician Francis Cabildo, music ministry director at Santa Margarita High School, and also the director of Christ's Cathedral Music Ministries, Dr. John Romary. You'll also have the blessed opportunity to celebrate Mass at the Cathedral in Ensenada. 
Did we say this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? It's all happening July 21st to the 24th, but there is still time to get your reservation. For info, call Travel of Orange at 877-538-0010. That's 877-538-0010. Or go to OCCatholic.com forward slash travel. The Catholic Cruise to Ensenada, Mexico. A once-in-a-lifetime experience. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you from the beautiful campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today has been the very brave and, and wonderful Esther Sakara. And Esther is a a longtime friend of the Howick family, uh, along with the rest of her siblings, and I've had the privilege of getting to know them for, well, ever since I worked with her father back at um, Notre Dame High School in Riverside. And what's been interesting has been that I'm not going to tell too many tales outside mm-hmm. of schools here, but um, Esther was always one who was asking all the questions. And I know that um, we had a teacher who remained nameless. We had a teacher in the eighth grade who was one of the hardest teachers we had there. And I think she became probably your favorite teacher. Yes. Yes, she did, <laughs> because she's the one who would also engage your questions quite, quite blank, wouldn't she? Mm-hmm. So uh, we're talking today about millennials and how they've grown up and seem to be going in two directions, uh, a fairly liberal perspective, but a significant number of them seem to be moving toward a more conservative structure. Now, you have gone through and and taken on for yourself what is Catholic faith and why Catholic faith. You've made your own decision. Mm -hmm. We were talking before this broadcast began about me being a convert and taking on Catholic faith, and you made an interesting comment. So I may have been a cradle Catholic, but I made the decision too, and you did. I doubt that. So that raises the interesting question. And you made the decision to continue this and try to impart this in ministry. Why did you choose to go into Catholic ministry as a young person? To be quite honest, I was asked by my pastor and not just I was asked by my pastor. So therefore I did it. But I was going to take over the youth choir at my parish. And I was discussing with him how we were going to do that transition from uh, our from the current whoever who was the gentleman who was doing our mass, the youth choir before that, how we were going to go about the transition um, cleanly and smoothly. And he said to me, well, I'm also looking for a youth minister. And I just kind of looked at him. Okay. And this was right before I had just finished my fall semester at UD's of senior year. So I had one more semester and then I was going to be graduating. <laughs> and so I had a lot to pray about. I had a lot to pray about. And I did. I prayed about it. And I thought about it because it was definitely not the track that I had been on. But as people heard before, my original track was history and lawyer. And then I was a drama major. Yeah, I I love how everyone plans and then God laughs. laughs. God laughs at you and says, nope. So I prayed about it and I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit that this was something I needed to do right now. I needed to minister to the youth of our parish since we're a fairly brand new parish. We're only 10 years old and we just moved into our new building. Yeah, I. this is a part of the Diocese of San Bernardino in the uh, western southern region and it's a growing area. 
So this was actually, as I recall, it started off, you were guys were renting what amounts to basically a, a hall mm-hmm. from a another organization. Yes. And uh, I think they served alcohol or something like that. Yes, the they the did. So it... <laughs> They, you would have your, your, uh, I think you still have your major ceremonies like confirmations and first communions out at different ranches and at different places. We did. So it's, uh, kind of the wild west of Southern California still. Yeah. You go to the Inland Empire and you've got a number of young people who are from this growing region. And what has been, you know, you decided to, your pastor asked you, mm-hmm. you prayed about it. What was the final deciding point? Why did you decide, if I'm, if I'm really hearing you, Lord, this is where you're calling me, what was it that convinced you? Yeah, Lord, I guess this is where I want to go, at least for now. What convinced me was kind of my own experiences at the parish. I went through con- the confirmation program at my parish, and we didn't have youth ministry. We had confirmation, so we had our confirmation classes after Sunday Mass, and that was great, but there was no youth ministry aspect of it. And we had, our parish had tried to over the years and there was, there were many youth ministers that we had that came and went who tried to, who laid down foundations that I've built upon. They laid down foundations like student, the Steubenville conference. We make that an annual thing. Um, which is in San Diego, San Di- not Steubenville, yes, Ohio, which is in yeah. San Diego, not Steubenville, Ohio. And they go, we go to U- LA youth day We've, I believe we've gone to Virtual World Youth Day a couple of times, but that just depends on if Virtual World Youth Day happens or not. There's a lot of organization that goes into that. So those foundations I was coming in with, but for the last uh, few years while I was in college, the last two years, they didn't have a regular youth minister. So there was no youth ministry. Of course, they had the confirmation program, but they had no youth ministry. So I saw... God calling me to fulfill a need at my home parish that was necessary for the youth that are going to be the future of our Catholic Church. How do you see the difference between a confirmation program, which is what you originally only had at your parish Mm -hmm. to serve the youth, versus a youth ministry? Because personally, I see some huge differences, but I see them from more of a theoretical perspective. Mm -hmm. In how you've engaged it, what has been your experience as the major difference between confirmation and youth ministry? Well, for me, the major differences between those two programs is youth ministry is built specifically to develop a community of Catholic youth. This is a place where you should feel comfortable to come and talk about school, talk about your social life. It's not a social club, but it's a community of individuals that you maybe you, you go on events, you go to conferences or you go and do mission work. You go and see a movie. You develop you're developing a young Catholic community, whereas confirmation is the other side of that coin. Confirmation is so the confirmation program and its classes are specifically designed to give you give young Catholics a foundation for their faith, an understanding of what they believe in, a more solid catechesis. It's not just faith sharing like youth ministry usually is. It's you learn from the catechism, you learn from scripture, you learn church history. And when you combine those two things, both the social community aspect as well as the foundational 
theological aspects in a person because they go through both programs, they come out with the tools to face the more contemporary worlds, a more secular worlds, and they come out stronger Catholics. They may not have all the answers when they come out. I mean, they're only 18 or sometimes 16, but at the very least, they have the tools to continue to excel in learning about their Catholic faith. Okay, so the program that originally was in the parish was all-encompassing at its time. Now it's been able to refocus itself more on the goal of training youth toward receiving the sacrament of confirmation. Mm -hmm. And we have decided in uh, recent times that that should include a lot of adult and semi-adult catechesis on things, as you said, church history, as well Mm -hmm. as as other catechetical parts like sacraments and sacramentology. But for the, for your ministry, your ministry is primarily focused on building relationships yes. on building, um, as you put it, a community virtually within a community. So you've, you've got the youth that forms their own community within the larger community of your parish. Mm-hmm. Is that a fairly accurate way of putting it? Or do, do the youth like the idea that they're being identified as a separate group. Like I can see that as being yeah. a two-edged sword. It is a, it is a double-edged sword. Take, now, take for example, youth masses. Yes. I, I know a lot of people like youth masses, yet mm-hmm. there's a two-edged sword to that. There is. At school, uh, there was a couple of... couple. Of, we, were at, we were on our way to a dinner with a professor, and we had just all gotten out of mass, and one of them made a comment, because the mass we had just come from was a youth mass, at one of the parishes in the area, and one of the kids in the car, the he said, I don't understand why we need a youth mass. We're not, we can't go to regular mass. Is there something different? And I see that, but having gone to youth mass my entire life, my dad, when he was a young man, uh, started the young adult group at his parish, and essentially that youth mass kind of form, being in the youth choir and whatnot, he... He translated that to when my, my parents got married. So we always went to youth mass. This is just something we always went to. But what it developed into was I don't think what it was originally intended for. Youth mass, I don't think, was intended to be something different from the mass because you same readings, same Eucharist. Mm-hmm. What it's developed into, whether for better or for worse, has been into a, well, actually for worse, I guess, is a praise and worship session. Now, some people would say that the praise and worship would be more in line with the youth, and you're saying that's not necessarily the case. It's in line with the youth, but if it's in line, the problem would be that if we've removed the focus to the music that we're playing at Mass, then why have the Mass? And so it's to a detriment. So it's become more of a, of a concert than an embrace of Christ. Exactly. Interesting. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is the very insightful and very brave Esther Sakara, who is talking about both her own experience as a millennial, but also her encounter with other millennials in ministry. When we come back, I want to talk about where this goes from here. We'll be right back.
Diocese of Orange is partnered with local travel company, Travel of Orange, to assist in organizing and facilitating pilgrimages to Catholic shrines, churches, and inspiring destinations worldwide. Find out about discounted travel rates, personal service, and customized travel experiences at key religious sites. Call 877-538-0010 or visit travel.occatholic.com to learn more. That's 877-538-0010 or travel.occatholic.com. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope from the offices, the good offices of Immaculate Heart Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Esther Sakara. And Esther is the youth minister at Mother Teresa of Calcutta Parish in Winchester, Winchester California, which is not too far from the Temecula area. No. Right outside of Marietta as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So basically in the southwest portion of the Diocese of San Bernardino, so neighboring diocese, and you have been in youth ministry for all of about six months, mm-hmm. and you're sharing some of your first impressions about what it's been like. And we were talking briefly about youth mass, and you were very delicately trying to point out that there are some problems sometimes with how we go about doing youth mass. And if I heard you right, you weren't saying that youth mass is a bad thing, but there are some things that have happened that perhaps need to be changed a little bit. Some of the positives, though, that have come from it, we were talking in the break a little bit about some of the changes in media and some of the changes in in music that's come about that some of the millennials have actually seized upon. Talk a little bit more about that. What I've noticed, so I am head of the youth choir at my parish. And so we use, um, from OCP pu- publishing, we use spirit and song. Okay. So we use spirit and song and this new version of it, they had spirit and one, spirit and song one and two. Now there's just spirit and song. It's not, there's no three on it. Okay. It's just a purple book. Um, it's just a purple book. Just a okay. purple book. That's a spirit and song. They have in there some of the Catholic artists so like Tom Booth, Steve Angersano, Josh Blakesley. They have in there, old hymns that actually some of them even go back to the medieval time. Wow. They have chant modes in there. And what these Catholic artists have done have taken these old sacred music texts and they've contemporized them. They don't change the lyrics. They don't change even the tunes. They're still the same chant modes that, um, well, you would probably remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yes, I go back several hundred years. <laughs> um, but they're the same chant modes that a lot of older people would remember, yet they're contemporized so that the youth don't completely reject them. All right, give me an example. One of them that we had was Of the Father's Love Begotten, which is an old medieval trope from back in the beginning of basically when the church was starting to now have theater, actually back in its mass when they would have these little plays, so to speak. So they had like their their Paschal, so their um, Easter tropes. They would have a little back and forth that would go from the monks and someone would dress up as Mary, not Mary, someone would dress, yeah, someone would dress up as Mary and she'd go to the tomb and find that no one was there. And then the monks in a choir would answer back as the angel. Who are you looking for? So this one was a Christmas trope. This is a Christmas trope. And can you define the word trope or what is a what's a trope? If I'm remembering correctly from my medieval drama class, 
it's essentially a little not a playlet, but it's a response within that. It's so there's a back and forth, yes. so to speak, to it. Okay, so it's not just a simple song that everyone's no. singing. It's an engaged encounter mm-hmm. song. Okay, I got that. All right, so they've got this medieval trope, and what did they do to it? They took the tune. It's the same tune that it had back, basically chant mode that they had back in the medieval era, and he put it to piano. He took it and put it to piano and did a little bit of an arrange, um, different kind of musical arrangement on it, and it's quite beautiful. And it makes it one easier to follow for the whole church to follow because it's not being sung in three different parts by a giant Gregorian choir. So the whole church can kind of engage in it. And yet it hails back to our roots, which is important. We have another artist recently I looked up. He had the Salve Regina. It was also in Spirit and Song. And he also contemporized that. And again, same chant mode that most that people would um, recognize for the Salve Regina. What's been the reaction now that they've put this stuff in there, especially amongst people who are 25 and younger Mm -hmm. to encountering this kind of stuff? You're talking about reworked material from the Middle Ages, and you're saying that it's it's being newly rediscovered. What's been the reaction you've seen in most? Well, most of the time they don't know. They don't know that it's old. They don't know that it's old. And that's kind of the first step is they don't realize it's old. And when they're told that it's old... They actually think it's really cool. This past Advent season, I told my choir, hey, we're going to be singing in Latin. I want us to sing in some Latin this Advent season. And they all groaned. No, actually, all of them were like, yes, that (laughs) sounds so cool. We sang Veni, Veni, Emmanuel, or O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Mm -hmm. all in Latin for our communion meditation. It's a very haunting tune as well when you do it that way. Very nice, right? So if we're looking at where you're coming from, if I'm if I'm getting the essence of Esther Sakara's encounter with ministry as a young person, the youth are interested in authenticity and they're interested in roots. They are. And if they don't have it, they're going to go seeking elsewhere to find it. Mm-hmm. So if I'm hearing you right, the reason why we've got, or one of the reasons perhaps, why we have these two different groups that are growing in two very different directions a liberal group leaving the church, but also a group that perhaps might even embrace a a, a veil at mass uh, <laughs> that is because they're, they're seeking to have the roots that some of our past generations thought were useless and were abandoning. And the millennial generation is rediscovering the positive reasons for having them, whether it's the veil or in this case we were talking about some of the old music and what it actually said and where it came from and what it was and how cool it was. Now we'll give some syncopation and we'll we'll make it more modern mm-hmm. so that it's presentable to a modern ear, but has roots to where we came from. Exactly. There's something that they also I feel that's important is that through music, we learn a lot. We learn a lot through music, and that's why it's important what our lyrics say. It's important how our lyrics are presented to us because, like, we have nursery rhymes. Those were meant, you know... They had little kind of teachings and stuff or some ways to memorize things. There are some sometimes people in if you're studying, you'll come up with some little tune to memorize some kind of device and what you're studying for. So in that way, we learn a lot through music and we learn a lot through things like poetry, which is why it's important. 
to what the lyrics say. And some of the problems with the music that was being written is that it was good. It told us, you know, Christ loves us and Christ is good and he died for us for our sins, which is great. That's wonderful. And that is true. But for a Catholic mass, it didn't direct toward the Eucharist. And so now we're seeing artists that are writing identifiably Catholic music for mass, not just we can go and and sing about how wonderful God is, which is important as well. But for mass, for to keep with the sacredness of the mass, we need music that directs us towards the Eucharist. And a lot of these older songs, which we've abandoned in many ways, are so deeply rooted. You read their lyrics and there is no denying anywhere <laughs> what this is meant to tell you, what this is meant to gear you towards. And in that way, that's how I also see my job as head of the youth choir is that while I do need to understand my audience, I do need to understand what the youth need I need and may want, I need to understand also First and foremost, I am in charge of making sure we are directed towards the Holy Eucharist at Mass. I'm fascinated that you have been able to make such a strong case for the value of traditional structure, for the value of being focused on Christ in the Eucharist, on the value of some of those traditions that I think... People thought they were doing a good thing in trying to free people from the shackles of these of these traditions. And what you're saying is, wait a minute, you threw a baby out with this bathwater here. There there was a, a good to some of this. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you so very much for coming on and for the bravery you've shown at 22 <laughs> years old to talk to a couple of billion people out there in Southern California who are listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. Thank you, Esther, for coming thank on. Thank you. You've been a wonderful guest. I'm sure that your ministry will go very, very well into the future. As you are moving forward and you are looking at where you move from here, what do you think the next step will be for you? Are you planning to stay, do you think, in ministry long term? I think I'll always be in ministry, um, whether I am in as a volunteer or as the head of a ministry. That I leave in God's hands. I honestly, I may be doing this for the next decade or so. I may be doing it for next five years. For me, I would kind of one of my dreams right now is to really break into possibly Catholic theater and whatnot. And Catholic doing that theater. We have some people who do that here in Orange County, which we can talk about some other time. But I want to thank you, Esther Sakara, for being here and for bringing your ministry to us to understand a little bit more, not just about what you're doing, but you as a Catholic millennial, talking to Catholic millennials about the value of the traditions of our church. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.
The passing of a loved one is a difficult and often sorrowful step in life's journey. The helpful and supportive staff at the Cathedral Memorial Garden Cemetery, located on the 34-acre iconic Christ Cathedral Campus in the center of Orange County, are here to assist you and your family through this transition. The more than one-acre Cathedral Memorial Gardens is unique in Orange County, offering a central location, serene garden-like grounds, majestic fountains, and a dramatic statuary, all set within the soaring architectural gems of the Christ Cathedral Campus. Cathedral Memorial Gardens now has beautiful glass front niches. Single, companion, and family four spaces are now available with interior LED lighting with decorative trim that will display your loved one's urn with dignity forever. For more information, please visit memorialgardens.christcathedralcalifornia.org or contact 714-489-6102, 714-489-6102. 